Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, May 8th, 2022, and we're going to wish everybody one more time a happy Mother's Day here in the house. The fruitfulness of our church is absolutely incredible. If you don't believe it, just go back and take a look in the kids program on any given service and you will see how fruitful that things are. See, we're not just producing godly offspring, we're actually reproducing godly offspring as well. We have multiple generations of righteous offspring in this house, and we're going to continue to make more and more. You know, that's right. We see the clear evidence that we are living in the promised land in our present day, right now as we're here in this building. Some might even say that we're truly living in the land flowing with milk and huggies. (laughs) Yeah, just let it sink in for just a moment. Today, we're going to have a good time. We just want you to know that. This is a day we're celebrating because we have the word of life given to us freely from our Father. You know, when it comes to raising up righteous offspring from conception to completion, where are you at, Treester? Not concept to completion, which is the FCR slogan, but conception to completion, this process never stops. It just keeps going. It requires constant training to reproduce. Man, doesn't that have a nice ring to it? Training to reproduce? Training to reproduce who and what we are. You might think that we're only talking about raising our own kids, but this is the God-given function of each and every believer of all ages and all seasons of life. And this is a reality that's starting to take root inside the soil of our hearts, and it seemed pleasing to the Holy Spirit that we share a word with you this morning entitled, Training to Reproduce. So as you turn to Genesis chapter 1, say training to reproduce. Training to reproduce. We're going to pick up in verse 28. And it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This passage begins with something very important. It states that God blessed them, meaning that he blessed the man and woman. He blessed the husband and wife who are actually just a reflection of Christ and his bride, our relationship with Messiah. And God's blessing was in tasking them with two unique things. He tasked them with the first charge to be fruitful, meaning that to become plentiful, to become abundant. And and that second task was to end increase in number, meaning an ever-increasing production of abundance that will result in further reproduction. So not just a single abundant harvest, but an ongoing, ever-increasing abundant numbers of harvest. We know that God wasn't just talking about their direct offspring when he's saying this to them because verse 29 of Genesis 1 states the very next thing that God then entrusted their care. Right before we move to verse 29, is anybody like me and you've always read to be fruitful and increase in number as the same thing? Yeah. Yes. The first command that God is giving, he's saying, hey, I'm blessing you and I'm tasking you with the task of being fruitful and, somebody say and. And and increasing in number as two separate tasks that he is giving and he is blessing them by this. And to help achieve this, look at verse 29. Then God said, 
I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. That's a lot of plants. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. So with the God-given purpose of being fruitful and increasing in number, God entrusted to them the stewardship. Somebody say stewardship. Stewardship. Of every seed-bearing plant and every fruit tree on the face of the earth as a means of training them to reproduce. See, this is a clear relationship that God himself has established between mankind and the earth that would make certain man's need to constantly rotate through the process of plowing, planting, growing, harvesting. And then what comes? Plowing, planting, growing, and harvesting in an ongoing cycle. And Genesis 2 shows this intertwined relationship between mankind and the earth in a beautiful way. So as you're turning to Genesis 2, 5, say training to reproduce. Train to reproduce. We're going to pick up in verse 5. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. This verse is evidence that God had already seeded the ground and was withholding rain, and therefore... Growth, because his design was to establish an interdependent relationship that required mankind to be present. There were no shrubs, no plants, and there was no man, because we don't get a man in the scene till verse 7. But surely God could have done this all on his own, without any help. But he chose instead to commission a man into a cycle of growth from the very beginning because it was man that needed the training to reproduce. Are you following us this morning? This process was not given as a consequence for sin in man. This happened yet instead as a commission for man. To bear fruit was not consequence. It was his commissioning. So God formed man and breathed life into his nostrils for a very specific reason. And today you are going to really take hold of the inner agricultural self. And if you ever need help on how to breathe, just read Genesis. Remember, it's in through the nose and out through the mouth. This is going to be replete through the scripture. It is teaching us about who we are and what we've been commissioned for. Don't you like it? It's like when the word gives you very specific instructions that are practical in every day of your life. In through the nose, out through the mouth. I like that. Well, what God's intent was in commissioning man to take care of what was seated in the earth. Let's look at verse 15 in Genesis 2 to see exactly what it is he was supposed to do. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. To work it. And take care of it. So what God is doing here is that he is inextricably linking man with his connection to the land. And with his commission purpose to work and take care of what was entrusted to him. He was to make sure that the cycles of reproduction were always his priority. So God caused the shrubs and the trees to come to life whenever man's feet hit the land. And now it was time to get to work. Now it was time to take care of it. The fact is God is training us to reproduce by linking us with the same connection and commission. 
The process of faithfully working and taking care of our own soil. All of the seed-bearing plants and all the fruit trees in our land is the method God chose for our training to reproduce. And by the time that we get to Deuteronomy 8, we see the specifics of the seed-bearing plants and the fruit trees that God had given to mankind to teach them very important lessons about who he is and who they were supposed to be. So what God began in Genesis to Adam and for all of mankind is now given in a specific way in Deuteronomy 8. Turn with us to Deuteronomy 8, and we're going to look at verses 7 and 8 together. Say, training to reproduce as you're turning there. Training to reproduce. It says this. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Somebody say good land. Good, good land. land. A land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. And here's the specific part that God is illuminating to his people. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. You'll remember this slide from last week because it was an amazing, amazing service. The seven species, the seven crops of fruitfulness that is found in the land of Israel. The Hebrew term is Shavat Hamanim. And what you get is wheat. Everybody say wheat. 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 Say barley. 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 Grapes. Grapes. Figs. Figs. Pomegranates. Pomegranates. Olives. Olives. And date honey. Date honey. I don't know why I looked at Nick Rosales and, and Anna there going, date honey. That's That's... Honey from the dates. The Shavat Hamanim is a specific fulfillment. Okay, y'all come back with me. It's all right. <laughs> it's biblical. It is biblical. The Shavat Hamanim is a specific fulfillment of Genesis 1:29. The list that you see here on the screen is of seed-bearing plants: the wheat, the barley, and the grapes. And the trees that have seeding fruit, figs, pomegranates, olives, and dates. See, what is happening here is that the Israelites would have had to engage and interact with all seven of these crops repeatedly through cycles of plowing and planting and growing and harvesting. Yeah. And you know what comes after the harvest? Back around to the beginning where you have to plow. Do you know why? Because even during the harvest time, there would have been a time of a dry season at the end of harvest. And they would have to come back again and begin by tilling the soil for time and time and time. And then you can't just keep tilling the soil or plowing. Then you have to plant. Then yeah, they have to cultivate. Then they had to harvest and know what to do with each of these. How to harvest. When to harvest. How much of the seed to keep back. How to process it. In that iterative process of dealing with all seven. Somebody say all seven. All seven. All seven crops were teaching them something about their lives that they desperately needed. God himself was training them to reproduce. And he was using these seven crops to be able to do it. Because there are evident gleanings from scripture that show that God was wanting and training them to be able to reproduce. So let's look at our first crop. This is wheat. Say wheat. 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 Psalm 147, 12 through 14 says, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. Yes. So from an agricultural standpoint, wheat is the most fragile in the list of seven. 
It is the most sensitive to drought. It's the most sensitive to heat. It can be infiltrated by tares that rob its nutrients from the soil. After harvesting, it must be threshed, torn apart, in order to be an edible source of edification. As a grain, it can be consumed, stored for future planting, or be pulverized in order to become a primary source of bread. The cycles of seasons of growing wheat are designed to train us to reproduce a harvest that satisfies and fills through our own fragility. Yes. Threshing, the threshing of constant dependency on our brothers, that is fragility. To constantly need someone. What makes you fragile is not your need for someone. It's actually what causes the wheat to be useful. This is how we train to reproduce. The Lord fills you with the finest of wheat, and others are fed from the fragility of this crop in their lives. Let's take a look at the second on our list. We're going to go to barley. Ruth 3.15. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. Look, throughout the culture of Israel, barley was the poor man's food and the food of animals. The way in which it was cultivated in higher elevations was that it died underneath the snow and sprouted again in springtime. Here, Ruth is clearly in a state of poverty. She has nothing to offer except her very own life. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, He poured into her shawl six measures of barley. He poured into her shawl an abundant provision for her state of poverty. Well, like Ruth, we also experience cycles of seasons where we're in the state of spiritual poverty. And our kinsman redeemer fills us with provision that guarantees our ability to be sustained. To sprout again after the winter snow. And to be able to feed others who are experiencing that same state of spiritual poverty. See, each of these crops is teaching something about their life. They're getting trained on how to reproduce by these ongoing cycles of having to cultivate these crops. Let's take a look at our third crop of fruitfulness. These are the grapes. Oh, you know, the fruit of the vine. Take a look at Amos chapter 9 and listen to the constant cycles that Amos is highlighting here. Now that we are thinking about these seven different crops of fruitfulness, listen to what Amos is saying. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. Are you hearing the entirety of the cycle that you're starting off with those who are reaping, but then it's cycling right back around to the plowman to till up the ground, then the planter, then the one who is harvesting and processing the grapes through treading. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. See, church, through the cycles of pruning, through the cycles of these harsh environments, the production of the vine is multiplied, resulting in an abundance of grapes that are destined to be crushed. They're destined to be trampled. They're destined to be treaded underfoot upon so that God's people are overflowing with new wine and joyful celebration. You go through the process and you're able to see this and it results in new wine and joy. What God desires for us to be as well. He desires for us to be well trained to produce a crop whose future 
is in fact to be crushed under the Messiah's will, under the Master's will, and that our fields, our hearts produce a new wine of redemption at the very Master's table. See, this is why, church, that we look at our lives and we can look and say, we want to invite the judgment. We want to invite the crushing experiences because we see and we know that the end result will that it will be producing joy and new life, not only for us, but for everyone around us. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So we've learned from the wheat, from the barley, the grapes. Now let's learn from the figs. This is Amos 7.14. Amos answered Amaziah. I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. So as you know, figs in Israel are usually sycamore fig trees. What we are also familiar with is sycamore fig trees require circumcision to produce fruit. And that they're considered food for kings and food for common men. But what's interesting about Amos is that he was so well trained to reproduce through the process of working the soil and taking care of fig trees that his own heart was circumcised, revealing the growth inside that would be prophetically beneficial to all of Israel and us as well. Did you catch that he was not a prophet? But something about his engagement with the land, with the crops of Israel, taught him something about the nature of God that allowed him to speak into the whole nation. Yeah. We want to tell you that every cycle of circumcising moments that pierce your outer facade and reveal what the Lord has caused to grow inside of you is then beneficial for kings and for common men alike. Amen. You can see clearly that what he was experiencing through that ongoing cycle of reproducing, particularly interacting with the fig trees, brought out something supernatural and divine inside of him. And the same thing happens inside of us. Well, the next fruit or crop we want to share with you is pomegranates. Out of Exodus 39, verse 22, they made the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth, the work of a weaver, with an opening in the center of the robe like the opening of a collar and a band around this opening so that it would not tear. They made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen around the hem of the robe. Look, from an agricultural perspective, the early blossoming of the pomegranate was an early sign of the arrival of spring. It was giving a sign that life is now springing forth from the land. And Jewish tradition teaches that the pomegranate is a symbol of righteousness because it is said to have 613 seeds, which corresponds with the 613 commands of the Torah. The treasures inside of this fruit are never visible without breaking it open to expose them. And once exposed, they would be a sweet source of life for everyone who consumed them. Through the pomegranate, we can see that every difficult moment of exposure that you encounter during transparency, it will actually end up revealing the treasure of God's word that has been motivating it. It is by God's design through this exposure of God's word in you that you would be robed, adorned in God's commands. Your priestly garments are then embroidered with pomegranates. And they're there to reinforce your relationship with God's commands inside of you. It also acts as a reminder of the training you have received to reproduce even more life from the word that's being hidden inside of you. Amen. 
Let's take a look at the sixth crop of fruitfulness. It's the olive. In Leviticus 24, verses 1 and 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light, so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Now see, what you know about olives is remembering from past sermons. What the people of God here in Israel would be learning about olives is because they had seen it time and time and time again. Because an olive tree is a, a unique, it's a unique in comparison to the other crops that we've mentioned here. Olives thrive in the most harsh of environments throughout Israel. The olive themselves have to be hard-pressed in order to reveal the things of value that are within them. And an olive often undergoes four different pressings to produce something that benefits every level of society. See, whether it's the first pure pressing that lights the lamps of the menorah, the medicinal use of the second pressing for you and your household, the third pressing for consumption as food, or the fourth pressing that is used as a fire starter, all of the pressings were designed to give light and life to the Come people on. of God. Yeah. Amen. See, church, because you are being trained to reproduce, you can know that like the olive, when you are hard-pressed because of your desire for the will of God, when you are pressed again and again and again and again, and again, yes. and again you can then be certain that every level of your pressing Every level of the pressing that you're under is designed to produce light and life for you, for your family, and for the entire world around you. That's what the olives are training and teaching us. So that brings us to our seventh crop, date honey. Listen to Psalm 119, 102, and 103. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Look how beautiful this is in verse 102. It says, you yourself, Lord, have taught me. It's almost like he is being trained to reproduce, teaching and training. They go hand in hand. As you may remember, the honey that is spoken of in Deuteronomy 8 are the drippings of well-aged dates that have been left in obscurity during a busy season. Saints, we want to tell you that we need these difficult cycles in our lives. Did you know you could learn so much just from seven crops in Deuteronomy 8? But when you engage with the scripture, it engages with you and shows you a deeper purpose. This is what God is using to train us to reproduce. When you feel you're operating in obscurity, you are actually undergoing further ripening that savors the sweetness of God within you and makes his words sweet to your taste. You know, every crop, all seven, they need the cycles of dry and wet, cold and heat to move into the harvest. And it's such a beautiful thing to look at all seven of these crops and know that through them, we can understand how we are undergoing the training to reproduce. So we put this in one complete side to yeah. summarize it all for you. We're being trained to reproduce we, meaning the experience of being filled through fragility. We're being trained to reproduce barley, knowing the certainty of God's provision in our poverty. Grapes, the crushing judgment that brings about new life and joy. Figs, undergoing circumcision unto fruitfulness. Pomegranates, robed in God's commands. Yeah. 
the pressing of olives that brings light and life for us and others, and experiencing that date honey, the sweetness of his word. This is how God is training us to reproduce. Not just in one area of our life, but in every area yeah. of life. And we can look at scripture and how it's used and it illustrates this ongoing process of what God is developing inside of us. The fact is we must journey through these cycles and seasons in order to yield the fruitfulness of our lives that will also act as a harvest that is nourishing and feeding others. Yeah. Come on, this is so beautiful. You're seeing how these things are interacting. Some are planted close to each other. Yeah. Some are planted in the seasons farther apart. The harvest time, the gestation period, all of these are different, but you see these all working inside of the life of the land in Israel, and you can see how they're all working inside of us, that each of these crops, which one of these do you want to lose? Which one of these do you not want to have? Not we want to have all seven that are constantly at work, which means that we have to understand that there are different seasons and different things that are interacting together. See, and the lessons that are learned from these seven crops are so well known in Israel to the Israelites that Psalm 81 speaks of all seven in kind of a supernatural shorthand. Yeah. Do y'all want to see this? Let's go to yeah. Psalm 81 and verse 16. Say like training to reproduce as you're turning there. Training to reproduce. Wow, that was really somber. Training to reproduce. reproduce. Look at Psalm 81, 16. But you would be fed with the finest of wheat. That's the first on the list. And with honey from the rock. That's the last on the list. And I would satisfy you. Mm. Through the psalmist, God is speaking to his people. He's saying, those who are after obedience, those who are walking in this, this is what I will do. I'll start at the beginning of fruitfulness, and I'll take you all the way to the end of the fruitfulness for a total situation Amen. where I am going to satisfy you in your life. Yeah. See, churches, you've seen these seven crops are all designed to train us to reproduce throughout the cycles of the seasons that we're in. It's evident from the beginning of mankind's existence that God wanted man's relationship with the earth to be the means by which he trained to produce. See, notice how satisfying this entire cycle is. It's through the plowing. It's through the planting. It's through the growing. It's through the harvesting. Each of these seven crops that will actually satisfy your entire life. It will fill you. It will be able to sustain you. And it trains you in the righteous repetition of reproducing just like Adonai. You become what he is through this entire process. Amen. So when the spies were sent into the promised land to look at the state of affairs, it seems that they understood the commission to Adam to be fruitful and multiply. And their questions in Numbers 13 reflect that knowledge. They knew what kind of questions to ask about the land to see if they could fulfill the commission on their life. This is Numbers 13, and we're going to pick up in verse 20. It says, how is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first right ripe grapes. So in spying out the promised land, they ask three questions about where they're going and they're certain to enter into. They know this is where they're headed because God has brought them into it. It wasn't going to be an excuse not to enter in. It was giving them a perspective of what they must do, how much work is ahead of them and where they should begin to cross over into the promised land. 
But these three questions are where we want to dial in for just a moment. They're all questions that we must ask ourselves about our own lives. This is the first question. How is the soil of what? My heart. How is the soil of my heart? This is a question all of us must ask ourselves. Maybe it's a question you should be asking yourself right now. How is the soil of my heart? Is it hardened? Is it untilled? Is it shallow and rocky? Is it full of thorns? If you're anything like me, then you say yes. It is actually all of the above. But we have to examine the soil of our heart in every moment so that we can reproduce. You can't just simply wish a crop out of the ground. You can't just think about a seed enough and it bursts forth with life. The reality is when you examine the soil of your heart, you have to get your hands down in the dirt and begin to work it, begin to turn it over so that what is underneath can be brought to the top and then what you plant in it can be nourished. Man, we, we really, really need this examination. We need an accurate assessment of how the soil of our heart is so that we know where we're at in the cycle. If the soil's hard, that doesn't mean you're out and, oh, no, the the soil's just too bad. It's your commission to say, well, I need to get my hands dirty in the dirt. I need to start working this soil so that when I do plant seed or the seed that's already there can burst forth with life. You know, the beauty about that is that when God is revealing to you how is the condition of your soil, what that's giving is a clarity of now what I must do to get to work. And to take care of it. There's a certainty of there's, there's work that needs to be done. And I know exactly where to apply it. Well, the second question, is it fertile or poor? Another way to say it is, does it produce an abundance of a crop? Is there a great multiplication of the seed that's planted in it? Or does it actually struggle to produce life? Even worse, does it just swallow up the life that's planted in it altogether? Ooh. No matter how much seed, no matter how much water is applied to that land, it just consumes every bit of that effort with no return to show for it. Well, yes, we need an honest assessment of our soil to see if it's fertile or poor so that we can then know exactly what we're to do with it. More importantly, I'm sharing with you my need to have an honest assessment of my soil. So it looks something like this. There's a constant seeding of revelation that God gives. And I look and evaluate if the soil of my heart is fertile or poor in interaction with that seed of revelation. And I realize there's no further reproduction of that seed that lands on my heart. That comes from personal study of the word. That's attending foundations. That's listening to sermons and having personal revelation uh, or personal interaction with the, the brothers. And I realize there's a gem and jewel of a revelation that God puts in my heart. And then I wonder, what's going on? Why doesn't there be a, a, isn't there a sign of life that's coming up from it? In addition to that, I mean, that's just the seed of revelation that hits my heart. What about the showers of affirmation from the Lord? Showers of affirmation from the family of God that surrounds me. 
But the land and the soil of my heart just drinks up that rain with no sign of producing something that's actually growing. The soil in my heart is insatiable. No matter how much praise, no matter how much success, there's always that poor soil that is not reproducing the seed that's actually being rained upon. So here's the thing. I need to get to work. I need to put my, my hands to the plow of God's word and begin to break up all of that fallow ground and remove the stones and the thorns, the very things that are preventing life from coming out of me. I need to turn over the soil of my heart. I need to work those fields, fertilizing it with faith, adding compost of convictions, yeah. forming rows of right order and shalom inside of my heart so that at the scent of rain, or another way to say it is that just a drop of affirmation causes life to spring forth from these seeds of revelation planted inside of me. Man, if, if we can just get a hold to that, how much we hunger and desire for affirmation that's trying to overcome the poor state of our soil. But when we get our soil right, it only takes a couple of drops for resurrection life to come right out of it. The truth is, I need this honest assessment the most after each abundant harvest. After there is much success, I've done something in obedience to my God, and there is a, a harvest of seven crops that are coming out of my ground. Why? Because I grow lackadaisical. I grow content, and I think that I no longer have to then reapply the effort that brought about that success in the first place. Well, when I'm possessing a greater awareness of the condition of my soil after the seasons of success, that's the very thing that trains me to reproduce the harvest in the next season. And then there's something that happens. As listed in Psalm 112, verses 6 through 8, this is how a person's heart can be steadfast, have no fear of bad news, steady, and able to look in triumph over his adversaries within his own soil. Come on now, remember these are the three questions that they're asking as they're about to enter into the promised land. They're sending spies in to get a lay of the land, to get an understanding. Hey, if you get invited to go on a trip, there are many of you in here who begin to immediately, a place that you've never been, you're going to start looking on and try to find out what the weather is so you know what the temperature is, so you can figure out what you need to bring. See, what they're doing is doing something much more important, and they're seeing what the condition of the land is that they're about to enter into. Look at the third question. Are there trees in it or not? I have to be honest with you. I am so far from an agricultural life, I really had to think about this for a while. Trees. Why? What is the importance of the trees? I understand the soil. Uh, is it, how is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Why are they asking about the trees? They're asking in the initial point to see, are there established signs of fruitfulness that can sustain us as we enter the land? If we're going to have to plow, if we're going to have to plant, if we're going to have to grow and then reap a harvest, that does not happen overnight. How can we sustain ourselves until that cycle goes? Is there already fruit in the land? Are there already trees that are vibrant and there? And if so, what kind of trees? How are they laid out? What can we learn from looking at the trees? Are they healthy trees? Or are they kind of short and stubby? 
I resemble that remark. It's okay. How, how is this going? What can I learn from looking at this? And then it hit me. I started thinking about it. I thought about it and thought about it. And I realized that trees give you a sign of faithfulness over time. Yes, that's right. You might have a crop that can spring up quickly. You have weeds that will spring up even more quickly. But what you see in a tree is you see the faithfulness over time of what that entire environment is producing. Come on, it's almost like the first time you came into LCM and you realized that men were walking around like trees. There was, there was something going on. It was amazing. Yeah. There was plenty to sustain you when you first got here. There was plenty to sustain me. But the point is, is that we start learning how to plant in the same kind of way that we see. See, for the Israelites, it was showing signs of God's faithfulness that was already there. The faithfulness of God was already there. His fruitfulness was in front of them, and they were trying to grasp hold of it. Church, you do not plant a tree and yield fruit in a few months. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the Levitical law says that when you enter a land and plant a tree, that you get three years and you don't touch any of the fruit. Fourth year, it is fruit that belongs to God as a testimony of his goodness. And then in the fifth year, you can start eating the fruit. Come on. How microwave is our generation? We want to plant something now and immediately yeah. get the fruit and get disheartened when it's not that way. How about we be a people who can start looking at some trees and going, what is faithfulness over time going to produce inside of me? Come on. Yeah. Come on. Good word. Let me share with you my own personal evaluation of the trees in my land this week. I realize how much I like to think about, you know, the mistake that I made. Like a short-term issue. I, I made a mistake. I've got a weakness. But when I start evaluating my own soil about in light of the trees, I start thinking more about my character. The long-term things that have been planted. Uh, for those who need to measure your blood sugar, you can get an instantaneous count or you can get an A1C that gives you what your blood sugar has been over the course of time. I'm doing good right now. Yeah, but how good have you been doing? And the tree helps determine that for you, and you can see the fruit. Yeah. Let me tell you about the tree of my own thinking this week. I'm going to read to you a very familiar verse, and I'm going to share with you the tree-like experience that I had with it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, somebody say all things. In all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I realized this week when I started looking at the fruit on the tree in my soil that the honest evaluation of this passage, I would say, and we know that in a whole lot of things, God works for the good of those who love him. But what I saw on fruit in my own trees of my heart was that that's the way I constantly think about it. I saw ongoing fruit. I realized that my character was prone to believing that. So you know what it caused me to do? It caused me to look at my own orthopraxy. It caused me to look at what I'm actually saying I believe versus what I'm actually doing. It was a fantastic experience for me to look at it and go, ah, I know what I'm supposed to do now. I can see it. it didn't turn, I didn't just turn around and go, I'm, I'm throwing away this verse because I have not lived it enough. 
I went, praise God, I now know exactly what I must do. That's what the children of Israel are doing while they're sending in the spies. What must we do? Just because the soil is difficult, they're not going to turn around and walk back. They know exactly where they must start in the process. Oh, this ground right here is hard. we got to start breaking up that ground. Yeah, this ground is softer. Let's get rid of the rocks and the thorns. They know exactly what to do in each region so they can plant all seven types of crop. You know what? When I started thinking about it like trees, I went, maybe I'm like a fig. Maybe this part of my thought is like a fig tree and it needs to be circumcised so that it can produce supernatural growth. Maybe this area of my thinking is more like a pomegranate and it has to be broken open so I can get to the seeds of God's word. Wow. I got circumcised in my heart and I understand now that I'm called according to his purpose. That caused life immediately this week inside of me. For those who love him, man, i got to break that open. He loves me. He's called me. I'm going to break that open so the truth of those mitzvotes, the truths of his commands, come alive and are sweet to me. I realized that like olives, I just needed areas of more pressing. I just needed more pressing to know that in all things, God works for the good. This is about his character. I need more pressing to get rid of that flesh so that I have something pure to offer him. Man, I need those dates. I need that that obscurity. I need to not want to be in front and to be seen and to receive praise. I need that because it shows that I am learning and that I'm finding all these things out, church, because I thought about this passage in light of the trees in my own land. See, these three questions are so important because they give an honest assessment so then we know exactly where we are. You can't get discouraged every time you see a hard patch of ground in your heart. You can't get discouraged when you see the fruit not developing rightly on the tree. That's a gift from God. The honest assessment shows you where you are and exactly what must be done. And that's what these seven crops of fruit do in each of us. So three questions we have to ask ourselves. How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it? As Pastor Wade just told you, and I just want to reiterate, if you see an area of your heart that looks unfertile, if it looks poor, that is your commissioning, and it's the thing that's going to train you to reproduce. Man, there's country songs that sing about flyover states. Flyover states are the states that no one actually visits but produce all of the food for the whole U.S. If you see an area of your heart, don't treat it like a flyover state, like, well, I guess I'm going where I want to. No, that is the exact area of your heart that is going to be both the training and the field that feeds you and your family. But let's keep going in Numbers 13, and we're going to pick up in verse 26. It says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them what? The fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Look, here is its fruit. Anyone catch that? The fruit was there before they cultivated it, before they even arrived. The land was already fruitful. 
The Lord was already faithful before they even entered into it to allow life to bring forth. So they had clusters of grapes. They had figs and pomegranates, milk and honey, date honey. That let them know that they could successfully plant remaining crops to begin the cycles of seasons that would reproduce God's goodness in them for every single person in the community. This is proof of the land being good before they even entered into it. That's good. Look how verse 28 continues. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. So the problem is the people, not the process of reproduction, not the cycle of seasons, not the commissioning work that God has given to all of mankind. They are staring at the giant problems. Well, the same process of getting the food to grow is what is needed to cause the people to grow. Meaning that God was displaying their further need in their training because their current circumstances were revealing the condition of their soil in the moment. They were staring at the wrong problem. It was showing whether or not their soil was fertile or poor. It was showing whether there were trees in their own hearts or not. Question is, what springs out of our own soil, of our hearts, when we're facing a similar situation? Do you ignore the fruitfulness of what God has already freely given you ahead of time? And instead, choosing to focus on the giant problems before you. Well, there's a solution. We need to be transformed in the soil of our hearts. That's true. We need to undergo that seasonal process again and again to cultivate what will bring about reproduction. Turn with us to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read this passage together. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 8. But in light of these, this process, in light of God training to reproduce inside of each one of us and using this process, let's see what that transformation, that need for transformation looks like in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. For you were once darkness. <laughs> Got to get an honest assessment of things. But now you are light in the Lord. Well, praise God. It sounds like the effort is done, right? You've made it to the end. Congratulations. You are, in fact, light in the Lord. But then he goes on to say, live as children of the light. Oh, so there's an ongoing process. Live as children of the light for the fruit of the light. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, in all righteousness, in all truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. You mean I got to find that out? Yes. yes. Have nothing to time. do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. In other words, as you beginning with this passage, you have to understand that an honest assessment is needed. You were once darkness, but now you are light. Therefore, you got to be trained in reproduction. Yes. You got to live so that the fruit of the light is what's being produced in you in an ongoing way, in a total way in every area of your life. I wonder how the Apostle Paul was thinking about finding out what pleases the Lord. Finding out. It was likely the exact same questions that we just answered. What is the soil like? Is it fertile? What are the trees like? See, it's through the plowing. It's through the planting. It's through the growing and the harvesting that you actually find out what pleases the Lord. 
you're able to then expose the areas that are unpleasing to the Lord. You know exactly where to go. You know exactly what to do. This is the church, our church. You are getting this down in your heart. You're no longer getting completely in despair when you see that there's an area in your soil that needs to be worked. We're starting to get it. And we're going, ah, this is great news. This is me walking in the light. The things that are being exposed are so that we can get rid of them. That we can have God transform us in our soil so that we can be productive. These are great days that we're in, LCM. Great days. This is fantastic when you're able to actually expose those deeds of darkness, those fruitless deeds of darkness. You're being, you can able, you're able to look at them. To chastise those things that are inside of you and be trained to do it rightly. You drag those things out into the light. What you used to bury, you're now dragging out into the light. And everything that is made visible by the light becomes light. It becomes the fruitfulness that God is desiring. It's all because we are embracing this entire transformation process. Church, we do not want you to be discouraged in this cycle of seasons. We spent hours studying agriculture. You know what is really interesting about the harvest, which is what we all want. We want the harvest. We want to bring in the, into the storehouse everything God has for us. What season does the harvest happen, happen in? What is the largest period of time inside the harvest? It is the drought. The harvest doesn't happen during the rainy season. The harvest actually happens during the drought. So if you're experiencing a little bit of famine, like why is, not, why is the revelation not pouring down on me? Then you might need to look at what you've already been cultivating and begin to harvest. Don't plow the harvest. Reap the harvest and then go back to plowing and planting. So our faithful father is bringing forth life where it could not be seen before. And our marriages and our teams and our children and every crop in our life. Listen to Isaiah 4 verse 2. It says, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. So the promise of God will cause the branch the netzer that we've been talking about, to be fruitful. And it will be a plentiful harvest. That has to encourage some of the families in here. You're not just producing a little bit of fruit. It will produce a plentiful harvest. LCM, you are already engaging in these cycles of seasons, in this process, and it's beautiful and glorious. And what's even more encouraging is that the plowing and the planting and the harvesting season is going to repeat. This fruitfulness will be the pride and glory of those who walk through the process of the cycles of seasons and embrace, full embrace, our training to reproduce. They, meaning the giant problems that we have in our lives, they're not too big of a problem for God to reproduce righteousness and fruit inside of you. Amen. Saints, are you embracing this this morning? Yeah. It's joy and expectation of the seasons of what God is going to keep doing in our lives. Man, giving you strength and encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. Look, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 27. Say, training to reproduce as you turn. Training to reproduce. We're going to pick up in verse 2. 
Isaiah 27, 2 says, in that day. Amen. I'm talking about in that day. Sing about a fruitful vineyard. In that day, when God begins to make life spring forth from the soil of your hearts, when you see his promises beginning to be fulfilled, and you know that it's going to be a cyclical season again and again, in that day, sing about it. In this case, he's singing about a fruitful vineyard. So when you have worked the soil, planted the seed, and the Lord has brought about a harvest, how can you not burst forth with songs of his fruitfulness? You know what this is? This is our fruitful falsetto. Oh. Verse 3. That's too fun. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day yes. and night so that no one may harm it. Are you hearing this? The Lord himself is watching over this vineyard to ensure its fruitfulness. He's going to water it with the rains of heaven continually yes. and always in the perfect season because he is a faithful God. He's going to guard it. He's going to revive it. He's going to plenish it. He himself will cause it to be fruitful day and night. And since there's so many Bible scholars in here, take a look at what that word for watch over and for guard it is. Yeah. It's not shamar. Nope. It's not nope. shamar. So you guys look that up and get back to us later. Because this is the process that God is doing. He's guarding it. He's reviving it. Yeah. He's replenishing it. He's causing it to be fruitful and that every day and every night. Yes. Let's keep going in verse 4. It says, I am not angry. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I would march against them in battle. I would set them all on fire. Or else let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. God is not angry that there are briars, thorns, weaknesses in his people. In the vineyard that he is watching and guarding. He actually expects those things yes. to come and attack. Yes. He knows how to tend his vineyard. He knows how to go out and deal with those briars and thorns. It even says, I would march against him. If you read in the Young's Literal, it says, I step into it. I step into it and I burn it at once. Church, he is able to use cycles of seasons to remove, to decimate, and burn every weakness and sin right out of your lives. Yes. And he's not shaken by it one bit. No. This process is how he makes the fields ripe for harvest in every season, for every single crop in your life. This process is what makes us come to him for refuge. Yeah. This process is what causes us to be in right order with him fully trained so that we can reproduce. Man. Let's hear the further encouragement that God is giving us in verse 6. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Man, he's laying out the process of growth, the process of cycles and seasons, seasons. And he's showing how you're experiencing training to reproduce. But did you hear in this, the whole goal that God is getting after is that he is filling all the world with fruit. This is going back to that original commission of why God put man on earth and caused life to spring out of the shrubs and of the trees. 
His design is to get glory through what is grown by the works of man's hand in the land. Come on, let's look at verses 7 and 8 to see how God deals with these difficulties that are there. Has the Lord struck her as he struck down those who struck her? Has she been killed as though were those <laughs> were killed who killed her? By warfare and exile, you contend with her. With his fierce blast, he drives her out as on a day the east wind blows. Let me just state it plainly, church, that the difficulties that Israel faces are not her demise. It is the cycle of the seasons and is producing fruitfulness through faithfulness inside of God's fertile field. What does that mean for us? It means that the difficulties that you and I are facing are not our demise. They're not our disqualification. They are the very process that is producing fruitfulness through faithfulness inside of you and me. Let's pick up in verse 9. It says, by this then will Jacob's guilt be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the removal of her sin. When he makes all the altar stones to be like limestone crushed to pieces. No Asherah poles or incense altars will be left standing. By this, by what? By this process of becoming fruitful. This process of faithfully working through the cycles of seasons and being trained to reproduce. Being trained to reproduce is the ultimate victory. It is actually the fruit that is the atonement of Jacob's guilt and sin. Church, we are seeing here that Satan's destruction is being brought forth through the fruitfulness of his people. When Jacob's guilt is completely atoned for, when the process has produced its ultimate goal, the full fruit of atonement is the removal of her sin and all of ours as well. And we are looking forward to the repetitive training to reproduce the full fruit of atonement, the permanent removal of all of our sin. Amen. Are you guys thankful for the atonement that we receive from our God? Yeah. And it bears fruit showing evidence of that atonement. Well, turn with me to Psalm 104, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. So look, the atonement in the man and in the land is the full fruit of God's workmanship. And it is glorious. From Genesis forward, we know that man, who is the solution for the land to be fruitful and reproduce, is also himself the problem the whole time. And the solution for man being the problem is for him to then be tasked to work and take care of the crops of the land. You see that relationship between the two. And by doing so, by being tasked with taking care of the land, it will train him to reproduce life just like Adonai. In himself, in the land, and in others for ongoing generations. That is amazing that God has given us the very process and he assigned it to us at the beginning so that he would fix and get the reproduction out of us that he desires that we might be like him. Look, church, I want to remind you that several weeks ago, a prophetic sermon came forth that was shared about God's specific word to LCM through the book of Zechariah. I want you to turn for our final scripture of today to Zechariah chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 12. 
Somebody say, training to reproduce. Zechariah 8 and verse 12. Listen to it in light of what we've been sharing with you today. The seed will grow well. The vine will yield its fruit. The ground will produce its crops. And the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all of these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you. And you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. Come on, are you here in this church that the seed will grow well? Because you've been trained to rightly reproduce. The vine will, in fact, yield its fruit. The result, listen to me, the result is not in doubt. Because the one training us is not in doubt. He is perfectly faithful. Did you hear the promise? The prophetic promise in Zechariah, the ground will, in fact, produce its crop. See, it's these cycles of fruitfulness They're as predictable as the sunrise. And we should be full of faith. We should be full of confidence at what is being produced in our lives right now. Amen. The entirety of the process, verse 12 says, depends on the heaven sending its rain. Well, thank God that in Psalms that we know that Adonai has already declared that he would open up his storehouses and rain upon us exactly in season and exactly in the amounts that we need. See the working of this entire process. Church, your training to reproduce, it's given to us as an inheritance. It was commissioned to us in the beginning, and its success is an inheritance because you've been included in the process, not as a concession, not as a result of sin. It was God's commission, and that was enacted from the very beginning. The result of all this is that we not be afraid. And what do we do? We let our hands be strong. Come on now, raise up your hands right where you see. Let your hands be strong today because of this process that God is working into you. Come on, you're going to let your hands be strong to be trained to reproduce wheat, that process of being filled with fragility, experiencing poverty, I'm experiencing provision and poverty, knowing the crushing judgment that brings new life, circumcision unto fruitfulness, robed in God's commands, experiencing that pressing that brings light and life, and knowing the sweetness of his word because of the time spent in his presence. Come on, begin to stand to your feet now. So here's what exactly we're going to do. We're going to get to the place of letting our hands be strong and getting to work in the soil of our hearts. We're going to walk in an expectation that this is an ongoing cycle of seasons and the harvest is always ongoing as well. But what we need to do first, we need to ask ourselves those same three questions. We need to ask ourselves before the Lord, How is our soil? Is it fertile or poor? Does it have trees or not? Because the whole point of asking those questions is so that we then know how to let our hands be strong and get to work. 
So as we pray, put your heart before the Lord. Ask those three questions, and then we're going to stand up in confidence. We're going to stand up with Holy Ghost vigor, and we're going to let our hands be strong to the work of our heart. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for giving us that ability to see our hearts in your presence. We say, we say Lord, show us. Show us the condition of, your, of the soil. Show us the fertility or poverty of it. And Lord, lead us to understanding the fruitfulness. Only you can transform it. Only you can fill us with strength to change it. We call upon your name right now, Lord, that you would come and fill your people with strength to cultivate their hearts. In Jesus' name.